Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Brock gets extra credit for being here twice. Way to go, buddy. I said I wouldn't preach it again if he wasn't here, but I am so glad you guys are all here. My name is Nicole Golden. I'm married to Bryant Golden. He's the lead pastor here, and we told y'all we were going to team teach um, this series together, and um, y'all aren't going to know what weeks we're doing because we don't even know what weeks we're doing. <laughs> we have the messages ready, and we're just like, well, who wants to do it this week? And so it was me, so here I am. So, so, so excited to be with you guys. Um, I just want to put a plug in here real quick about CC Kids. So Grace um, shared a little bit with you guys about um, the fact that we had 20 kids accept Christ last week, and um, that was so exciting. I don't know, those of you who have kids next door, if you're really plugged in with what we're doing, but every month, That was good. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, Every month we're studying a different virtue. And um, so we started out in August, studied learning about love the whole month. And then we did trust. We did grit. um, And this month is courage. And so your kids are learning about what it means to be courageous all month. And then they're learning one memory verse all month. And then they also get times of worship um, next door. And we found out at our house, my kids have Alexas in their room, but Alexa will play some of those worship songs. So um, it's really awesome how much they're getting hit on every side (laughs) with the gospel and with what Jesus wants to do in their lives. And so I have to tell you this too, we are growing like crazy next door. Um, I oversee all of the production programming aspect of it. So all the fun we do in that large group, I get to oversee. Um, but if you guys aren't plugged in and serving somewhere, like we'd love to have you on the team next door. And you can't use the excuse of like, well, I have kids. I'm around them all the time because I have four kids. I'm around them all the time and I'm over there. So that's null and void. Um, but I also want to tell you this, with the holidays approaching, okay, so I wear my Apple Watch next, actually my knockoff Apple Watch next door, but it does the same thing, so don't at me. So I, next door I wear it. By the time I get done with two services, I've done my 10,000 steps and burned like 500 calories. So if you're like, hey, I need to make room for the food I'm going to eat over the holidays, we don't need to lose weight. Let's just make room for it, right? Um, CC Kids is a great place to start. Um, burning those calories and getting that exercise in, okay? So I'm just joking. But um, speaking of all of that with the holidays coming up, um, I love me some chocolate, okay? That is my absolute kryptonite. And not just like candy bar chocolates, but um, the packages of chocolate morsels that you can get at like Publix or Walmart for like two bucks and, you know, the like you use for baking. So I always get them. I get like two bags all the time and I'm always like, I'm going to use those to make like chocolate chip cookies or Bryant's favorite, um, chocolate chip pumpkin bread. No one will make it better than his sister Angie, which I try, but I just can't do it. Um, and so I always buy them cause I'm like, I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to make all this for them and it'll be awesome. 
and then something stressful will happen. Okay, I have four kids. My life is constant stress. Um, and I'll be like, okay, I'm just going to have a few, right? And before I know it, I've eaten through both bags <laughs> and then gotten so upset at myself because I'm like, this is not making room for the holiday treats, right? So, like, I'm just, you know... I'm just adding to the stress of it all. And I get so frustrated at my inconsistency that I just end up quitting altogether and just give up and just eat however much chocolate I want to eat until I'm sick to my stomach, right? That is a really, really silly example of inconsistency because some of you in here have some really heartbreaking stories about inconsistency. Um, Whether you're an addict whether it's relationships, whether it's school and grades, whether it's finances, whether it's a job, you have some really heartbreaking stories about how your inconsistency has created a really negative impact on your life. And I think we feel our inconsistency the most sometimes in our spiritual lives, don't we? Because we all go through these seasons where we're up and down spiritually. And it makes us feel like such an underdog. Our inconsistency makes us feel like such an underdog. And like God will never be able to use us. Because there's certain seasons where we're on fire, right? I love that Christianese. Basically like you drank a Red Bull and had a really good worship experience. That's being on fire, okay? Um, But where you love Jesus and you're so excited about what he's doing in your life. And then there's seasons where you walk through a really dark time, right? Like we've walked through some really dark seasons. And can I just be honest with you for a second? When we've walked through those dark seasons, I haven't felt God with me. When we're going through those really dark seasons, I wish I could get up here and say like, oh, I felt Jesus' presence with me the whole time, but I didn't. It wasn't until after that I could look back and see God's faithfulness. Because in that moment, I don't have the emotional margin to be able to engage necessarily spiritually, but Jesus knows that and he's with me anyways. But maybe you're walking through a dark season and you feel like God's forgotten you and like you're alone, but you're not. And then there's other times where we just get so overwhelmed by shame. We're so ashamed of ourselves, so ashamed of choices that we've made, or maybe somebody else has hurt us and they represented some kind of spiritual facet for us and they hurt us and so we're equating that with God hurting us and we just, we're so up and down spiritually and so because we have been so inconsistent, because we feel like we can't measure up to maybe how we feel God needs us to be, we just give up. We can't measure up so we give up. And some of you have walked away from Jesus, not the Jesus of the scriptures, but a Jesus you've made up in your mind. And some of you have walked away from being who Jesus wants you to be because you're putting these standards and expectations over your life that Jesus never put over your life. You have created all this pressure in your life thinking you have to be A, B, C, or X, Y, Z, and Jesus never put those on you. And because you can't measure up in who you think Jesus wants you to be, you've just given up altogether. And that's not who God's actually calling you to be. And so our inconsistency, it makes us feel like an underdog. 
One of my most favorite people in the scriptures is Peter because I relate so much to this guy. Um, He was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. And so basically when Jesus came to earth, um, he handpicked 12 guys to follow him around, learn from him. And so when Jesus died and resurrected and went back into heaven, these guys could kind of carry on the message for him. And so Peter was one of the 12. And um, I wrote down a couple of words that I used to describe Peter. Um, And clearly these are all adjectives we would use to describe a disciple, right? So here's a couple one. Um, He was unfiltered. He was passionate. You can already see why I relate to him so much. Unfiltered, passionate. (laughs) Um, He was loyal. He was an overthinker, overzealous. He overpromised and underdelivered. He was a know-it-all and he was insecure. Obviously, those are the exact words we'd use as to describe a disciple of Jesus, right? (laughs) No, right? If we were going to pick people to follow us, if we were the Messiah, right? Um, You play that game, well, if I were Jesus, um, we would pick people that had it all together, that were quick to listen, slow to speak, that weren't, you know, riding the emotional roller coaster. We, We would pick people that were stable. But I love that Jesus picked Peter because that means that Jesus would pick me too, right? Because I'm so much like Peter, And so I love the fact that Peter's flaws and his inconsistencies are kind of paraded throughout Scripture because we all think we knew who Peter was and what he was like, just like the other 12 disciples. One of them was his brother. Several others were good friends of his. They all thought they knew who Peter was and what he was like. But Jesus is about to say, get rid of all those preconceptions I see Peter for who he really is. And I have a calling over Peter's life. And if Peter can shut out the noise of what everybody else thinks about him and what he thinks of himself, and if he can lean into how I see him and what I've called him to do, Peter's gonna change the world. And so I have two examples here of how Peter's inconsistency caused him to be unfocused, and caused him to forget the vision God had placed over his life. But I want to start in Matthew 16, because in Matthew 16, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he's asking his disciples, you know, hey, who does everybody say that I am, right? Do some of you remember this narrative? He's like, who does everybody say that I am? And so I think Peter's smart. Peter's like, okay, Jesus always asks the question, and he follows it up with a second question, so I'm going to let all these guys talk and share their thoughts. And then at just the right moment, I'm going to come in with a mic drop, and prove to everybody, right? I'm gonna prove to everybody that I'm the leader here, that I know the right things to say, that I'm not wishy-washy. I'm gonna prove them all this. So Jesus says this. He's like, who does everybody say that I am? The disciples are like, well, you're Moses, you're Elijah, you're a prophet, you're a rabbi. That's who everybody says that I am. And then Jesus says, okay, great. Who do you think that I am? And this is when Peter answers. He says in verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Mic drop. And Jesus blesses him in front of everybody. And then he says this, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, in other words, you're going to be my rock. You're going to be the person that takes the gospel, that starts the early church, You're going to be the person that I'm going to ask to carry this message on this rock. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. See, because Peter defined Jesus correctly, Jesus changed the definition of Peter's life. 
I'm going to say that again. Because Peter defined Jesus correctly, Jesus changed the definition of Peter's life. And Jesus basically told everyone that was watching, I see something in Peter that you don't see and that he doesn't see. I can see past Peter's inconsistencies. I can see past Peter's flaws. And I can see a man that if he will lean into me, he's going to change the world. But can you imagine the pressure of being called Jesus' rock in front of 11 other guys, right? And some of these guys, like I said, this, one of them is his brother. Another one are his close friends, his business partners. And Jesus has just basically told everybody, hey, this is Peter. He's my rock. And all of them are like, what the? <laughs> we know Peter. Peter's not a rock, okay? Peter is anything but a rock. Clearly, like, John would have been a better choice. You know, maybe Andrew. There's clearly better other choices, Jesus, for your rock than Peter. And so Peter's hearing all of this. And so Peter then decided to overcompensate for his insecurities, to overcompensate for his inconsistencies. And he tries to relentlessly achieve what Jesus is just asking him to receive. Jesus is like, I named you the rock. You are the rock. Receive that. You don't have to achieve it. I've done it for you. But Peter is in his mind, wait a minute, no. Now everybody's watching. Everybody's heard this. I've got to prove it to myself. I've got to prove it to everybody else. I'm your rock, so I'm going to do that. So one example is when um, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He has performed all these miracles. He's been teaching for days. He's exhausted because he's human, right? And so he tells his disciples, he's on one side of the lake. He's like, listen, you guys get in a boat. You're going to go to the other side. And it says it in the scriptures. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. So Jesus has clearly told them, you're going to get to the other side of the lake, right? And so then Jesus stays back. He's praying, he's alone, and then suddenly this huge storm happens while the disciples are in the boat in the middle of the lake. And I think it's so funny because while they're being, the scriptures say, buffeted by the waves, okay, Jesus decides to walk out on the lake and join them in the boat. Now, the disciples kill me because they've just seen Jesus do all these miracles. They've seen Jesus feed the 5,000. They've seen Jesus raise people back from dead. They've seen Jesus heal people without even being there physically. They're in this boat. Jesus is not with them. They're being thrashed around by waves. They see someone walking out on the water, and they don't immediately go, which common sense would tell them, that's Jesus, right? He's not with us. He's over there. He's coming out to save us. No, they freak out. It's a ghost, you know, like they just lose their minds. Which, again, I love. I'm melodramatic myself. So, like, same thing. You know, like, I'm dying, you know. And so they're just freaking out. And Jesus is like, hey, take courage. Don't fear. It's me. It's I. And so that's when Peter's like, listen, Jesus, if this is you, tell me. And I'm going to come out here and I'm going to join you, right? And so Peter says, yeah, come on out. Or Jesus says, yeah, come on out. So Peter gets his clo cloak on. He steps out of the boat. And he starts walking to Jesus, super confident of himself, right? I'm the rock. Look at me go. Like, they're all afraid in the boat. I'm coming out to Jesus. This is awesome. I'm the man. I'm proving to them that I have courage, that I have faith, that I have all these things. But then what does the scripture say in verse 30? It says, but when he saw the wind, in other words, he took his eyes off of Jesus. He was just focused on himself, that he had the courage to do this. He starts looking around now. And it's starting to clue into him, like, wait a minute, <laughs> I can't do this, right? I'm, on, I'm walking on water in a huge storm. I can't do this. Why did I ever think I could do this? He starts doubting himself. 
starts questioning why he made this choice. And he starts sinking. And he calls out, Lord, save me. It says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now here's something I want to explain for a second. Jesus isn't waiting for you to fail to call you out. Some of you have been raised that way, right? If you were raised in a similar situation like I was raised, my parents met really well, but we were in an environment where if you messed up, people would make sure you felt that mess up so you wouldn't do it again, right? It was kind of like reverse psychology, like we wanna make sure you feel absolutely miserable so that you remember that next time and you don't do the same thing, which is antithetical to what scripture says. Scripture says that Jesus' kindness leads us to, to repentance, but we were taught a different story. We were taught, you mess up, you need to feel really bad, Jesus is waiting for you to make it better, um, he doesn't wanna communicate with you until you, the whole broken fellowship, that's not even biblical. So he's waiting for you to make it right. And so then we feel more and more distance. And so that's not actually what's happening in this. Jesus is trying to get Peter to come to the end of himself. He's saying, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt yourself? Why are you so self-confident that you think that you can do this? Why did you not keep your eyes on me? I want to do these hard things for you. I want to do these hard things through you. Why were you so self-confident that you forgot to look at me, that you forgot to lean into me? Why did you doubt? I'm here. I'm available. I'm right in front of you. Why did you take your eyes off of me? He's trying to get Peter to the end of himself. Peter, you are my rock. You are going to make a difference in this world. But when you're only focused on yourself, when you're only focused on trying to prove yourself to everybody else around you, when you take the focus off of me and put it on yourself, you're going to sink. And some of you have done that. Some of you, I, I love the parable in the scriptures that you, you've built a beautiful house, right? You've gotten everything right. You've made all the right choices. You've done everything the way Jesus has asked you to do. Your house is beautiful, but you've built it on the sand of self-confidence. You've built it on the sand of thinking you know what's best. You've built it on the sand of if I do this, Jesus will do this for me. And that storm has come and wiped your house out. Now you're angry at God. Where did you go? What did you do? And you are basing your life on promises Jesus never made for you. You know what? This world is broken. It, you're going to experience pain. There's going to be problems. But one day Jesus is going to make that all right. But that's in heaven, guys. We weren't promised that down here. Unfortunately, sin has broken things. And so we can't build our houses on self-confidence and quid pro quo. If I do this, Jesus will do this. We have to build our house on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And when we do that and we keep our eyes focused on him, we won't become inconsistent when life throws us a curveball because our focus is on Jesus Christ. See, focus builds consistency. So where's your focus? Is it on yourself? Is it on everybody else? Is it on trying to keep up? Is it on trying to prove yourself? Or is your focus on Jesus Christ? Then there was this other time, and we know this, right? When um, Jesus is about to be crucified, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. I can't say it. The G Garden. I, Gethsemane, thank you. You can practice it all day long. You get in front of hundreds of people, and then... Um, but yes, Garden of Gethsemane. I still didn't say it right, so I'm sorry. I'll get it later. <laughs> 
Let's just have a moment here. Um, and if you are one of our Christers, and we love you, like your Christmas and Easter, you've heard this story, and I'm so happy you're here ahead of schedule, so good for you. Um, but if you haven't grown up in the church, okay, Jesus goes to the garden to pray and basically beg God to not have him be crucified, because he's human. He knows what's coming, right? And while he's there praying, he asks three of his closest disciples, Peter being one of them, hey, would you pray with me? And Peter's like, absolutely, we'll pray with you. And then five minutes later, he's knocked out, like sleeping, snoring, the whole nine yards. And so the Romans come to arrest Jesus. Peter wakes up. He's like so recharged from his nap. He takes out his sword, cuts off one of the guard's ears, right? And Jesus is like, Peter, heals the guy's ear, gets him all set. And then, you know, it's just a mess. One of the disciples runs out naked. All the other ones are, I mean, it was, it had to have been humorous if it wasn't so sad, you know? And so Peter falls from a distance. Jesus is put on trial. And um, Peter's just out in this courtyard with a bunch of nobodies, okay? At this point, everybody's stirred up wanting to see what's going on. And Peter's out with a bunch of nobodies. And he's also out with some women. Now, you have to understand, back in biblical times, women were seen as less than. Jesus changed all that. Okay, Jesus elevated women. Jesus raised the standard of women, but they were, they were viewed very poorly out there. And so the fact that Peter gets asked two different times by nobodies, were you with Jesus? And he says, no. And then was asked by a woman, weren't you with Jesus? And then he basically swears and says no, okay? Shows you just how inconsistent he was in that moment. Because if he had said yes, what were these people gonna do to him? Nothing, they had no power. Everybody was focused on Jesus. But he goes from promising Jesus, I'll never deny you, I'm going to die with you, and I'm going to cut off this guy's ears, I'm going to do all this, to denying Jesus three different times. And the scripture says the third time Peter denied Christ, Jesus made eye contact with him. And Peter was so broken, he went out, scriptures say he wept bitterly. Because he was supposed to be Jesus' rock. His focus was supposed to be on Christ. And he just denied and lied in front of all these people that don't matter, that had no power over his life, saying he didn't know Jesus. He had no part of him. And then Jesus locks eyes with Peter. Jesus dies. He rises again. And I think there must have been something in Peter's heart that's like, I've got to get a conversation with Jesus. I've got to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus because I need to know, does he forgive me? Does he still see me as the rock? Is he going to give me a second chance? And I think, too, for these disciples, you know, Jesus died, he resurrected, but they weren't really sure what to do with any of this because in their mind, Jesus was going to set up his kingdom on earth, and so he's died, he's resurrected, he hasn't really told us what to do, we don't really know what to do, so we're going to go back to what we know and is familiar to us. And I wonder for how many of you that's your story, right? You've decided to follow Jesus, you've gone all in, and then there's a season where Jesus has kind of gone silent on you, and you're not really sure what your next move is, and so because you're feeling fearful and uncomfortable, you go back to the familiar. You go back to that addiction, you go back to that relationship, you go back to those financial decisions, you go back to that habit, whatever. You go back to it. And the disciples, they went fishing all night, night and caught nothing. And, and you go back to whatever that is for you, and it's not coming through like you thought it would. And then there's this strange man on the beach, and he yells out to the disciples, have you caught anything? 
And they're like, no. <laughs> and he's like, well, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. So they do. They throw their nets on the other side of the boat. And scripture is very detailed. It says they caught 153 fish. Scripture is very detailed so that people could fa fact check back then. And so their nets should have broken. Their nets didn't break. And a light bulb goes off in John's mind. And he's like, that's the Lord. <laughs> that's Jesus. And their boats are still far off from shore, but Peter was so desperate to find out from Jesus, are we okay? <laughs> Do you still know that I love you? Do you still have a vision for my life? I'm so inconsistent, but without you, I'm nothing. Is there anything you can do for me that the scriptures say he threw on his cloak, he jumps into the water, he swims to the beach, and he has this encounter with Jesus. And it says this in John 21, verse 14. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. So there's been two other times where Jesus has appeared, and there's been this huge elephant in the room where everyone knows what Peter's done. Peter knows what he's done. Peter knows Jesus knows what he's done because they made eye contact. And so it's like, what is Jesus going to do with this? Jesus makes them breakfast, and when they finish eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus asked him three times to cover over the three times Peter denied him. And Jesus' point in this was, I do know all things. I do know you love me. The problem is you lost the vision I placed on your life. You became inconsistent because you forgot what I've called you to do. I've called you to build my church, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. I've called you to go take care of other people. And you lost that vision. See, vision breeds consistency. We can keep our focus on Jesus. We can keep our focus on the fact that he loves us unconditionally, that he defines us, not everybody else, not our past, not what we think about ourselves. And then if we can follow after the vision and the calling and the plan and the purpose he's placed in our life, that will keep us consistent. And so Jesus was saying, Peter, I don't care what you've done in the past. You're right. I do know all things, and I know you love me. Do you believe that of yourself? And do you believe that I love you? And do you believe that no matter how many times you screw up, I still have a plan and a purpose for your life, and I want you to go out and make a difference. I want you to use your story of inconsistency, of being all over the place, of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, of doing the wrong thing, of lying. I want you to use your story so that other people understand the depth of my love, the depth of my chances, and so that they can go after their calling. Do you understand this, guys? Jesus has given you a specific story and a specific calling, and it includes all of your screw-ups, because you wouldn't be in this church if we weren't open and honest and vulnerable with you, and if we didn't tell you we have just as many struggles as you do, but there is a God who loves you unconditionally and has a plan for your life, and you need to stop hiding behind your failures and your fear and go after what he's called you to do. 
He has a plan and he has a vision for your life. Vision breeds consistency. Here's something I want you to know. When Bryant and his dad, Dale, started Center Point Church, they started it out of Bethel Baptist. Bethel Baptist had maybe 100, 125 people at the time. And they wanted to create an a church where unchurched people felt safe to attend. They wanted to take away all the unnecessary barriers that kept people away from experiencing life and freedom in Jesus Christ. And so they announced it to the church at that time, and they got very upset because it wasn't going to be comfortable, right? What we do is not comfortable. It's hard because it's putting ourselves second so that we can reach other people with a life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Not all of you like everything that we do here, and I understand that. But do you know what I applaud you for? You understand that what we are doing to reach the next generation and to reach people far from God is more important than how comfortable you are. But a lot of people in that moment did not understand that, and they got angry and they left. And someone, as they were leaving, looked Bryant in the eyes, and he said to Bryant, you aren't going to last six months. Now, Bryant could have listened to that noise, couldn't he? If he would have listened to that voice, 20 kids wouldn't have accepted Christ last week. Your marriage, your marriage wouldn't be heading in the direction it's heading where you're experiencing healing. That divorce you just went through would have wrecked you, but you're stronger than ever. Those grades and that job and those finances, they wouldn't, do you know why? Because Bryant knew God had placed some vision and a calling over his life. He didn't listen to what everybody else was saying. He didn't get discouraged. He didn't, he had, you, if you talk to him, and you should ask him sometime, he felt so inadequate with what God was asking him to do. He fought it for a very long time. He didn't think he was worthy. If he would have listened to how he thought he was, if he would have listened to the noise, this church wouldn't be here today. But God placed a vision and a mission and a calling on his life, and he chose to not listen to anybody else. He chose to keep following Jesus, and we're here as a result, and God is doing something incredible in our community. Here's what I need you to understand. Some of you have lost so much confidence in yourself because of your inconsistency. You feel like such an underdog. And you think that Jesus sees you the way you see yourself. But that's not the case. Do you understand that for those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus Christ, in all of his perfection. And so those failures and that inconsistency that's holding you back, that's only holding you back. That's not holding God back. Because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. You are worth Jesus to God. And he's saying, can you get it together? Can you put your eyes on me? Because I have a job for you to do. There are people who are scared to death that I will never love them, that I can never use them, that I'm not a God of second chances. And I want your life to be a testament to the fact that I love the underdog. Those are the only people I use are the underdog underdogs. In fact, if you look through all of scripture, Jesus was the most against the people that thought they had it all together. He actually is waiting for us to be like, hey, Jesus, guess what? I'm a mess. He's like, I know it. Let's do something. Amen. That's what he's waiting for. And so I want to leave you with a couple of these questions. The first is this. Are you going to believe what others have said about you instead of what Jesus can do for you? See, some of you are on the precipice of doing something incredible for Jesus, but you're so caught up in what everybody else is saying about you. 
Are they going to think you're weird? Are they going to think you can go through with it? Are they going to think this is going to be too much for you? Are they going to think you're a quitter? Are they going to think this? You're so wrapped up in what everybody else thinks about you instead of what Jesus has declared over you, which is you are a son and a daughter of the king. When he looks at you, he sees his perfection, and he is going to give you the grace and the strength to do whatever he's called and asked you to do. Are you going to focus on the waves on the storms, or are you going to focus on Jesus' grace? See, you're going to get in the middle of some really sucky seasons. It's going to happen. And are you going to just have a pity party? Are you going to lament and cry about how easy things were and how hard they are now? Are you going to get distracted about everything that's going on around you? Or are you going to dig in that moment? Jesus has called me out onto this water, right? Jesus said, Peter, come on. He's called you out on this water. He's not going to let you sink. If you are walking through a season right now, you are having a Peter moment. Where you are in the middle of a boat. And Jesus is saying, hey, walk to me but you lock eyes with me. You don't focus on everything that's going on around you. You don't focus on the fear, the anxiety, the trepidation you have. You lock eyes with me, and if you lock eyes with me, you will not sink. It's your choice. He's not gonna make you. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus' grace. The moment you look away and you start to sink, he's gonna be right there grab a hold with all your might and he'll pull you out are you going to trade in how Jesus sees you for how you see yourself so I think sometimes we think that Jesus has these huge callings for our lives and we think we have to have these huge callings like you know I don't know, we get, we get caught up with celebrity Christianity sometimes, right? So like if I'm not a lead vocalist, which <laughs> I am not, um, or if I can't preach like Pastor Bryant, or you know, if I can't you know, write this or do that or whatever, it, we think, what's, you know, do we have worth? Are we gonna make a difference? And I'm getting emotional because I, when we were going through the pandemic in 2020, there wasn't a whole lot to do, right? So I was pursuing a lot of things at the time. Um, I signed with a book agent, wrote a book, um, started acting and modeling, was doing a lot of stuff. Started a podcast, had my blog going. And in the past probably eight months, I've had to quit all of that. That was really difficult for me because I thought that was God's calling over my life. It's to write my story. And look at he's showing it's his calling over my life because I have an agent, you know. And it's to go and impact the dark world of, of entertainment and media. And look, I've got three agents. Like, you know, look at how Jesus is blessing. He's confirming this is what he has for me. And um, the pandemic really messed with kids as a whole, mental health. If you have children, you know. If you have teenagers, you know, it messed with us as an adult, but more and more studies are showing the impact it's had on kids. And my little girl has been struggling 
and I've had to quit everything because right now God's calling on my life is my little girl. God's calling on my life is to make sure my boys are okay. God's calling on my life is to make sure that my marriage stays strong while we're trying to help our children. That's God's calling on my life right now. And so I broke the contract with my agent for my book. I told my agent for acting modeling, I'm sorry, you'll see me maybe in a couple months, I'm not sure. I said, that, that is not God's calling on my life right now. My one focus is my kids and my marriage. And I worried, can I be honest with you guys? I really worried what people were gonna think. Are they gonna think I'm a quitter? Are they gonna think I wasn't good enough? That's why the book hasn't come out. Are they gonna think like, yeah, like we knew it, she's too old so she can't break into the entertainment and it's like, I started worrying and that became a stress on me and it created so much inconsistency in how I was parenting and how I was focusing on my marriage because I was so concerned about proving myself to everybody and about what everybody else was gonna think and I finally heard Jesus saying, why does it matter? Andy Stanley has said the most important legacy that we're gonna leave is not something that we've done, but someone we've raised. For some of you, I understand that's not in the cards for you, so it's gonna be someone that you've poured into. People are more important than the achievements we make, and so I said no to those things, and right now my calling is to be the most incredible mom that I can be and to lock arms with my husband so that we make it through this season. That's my calling. And I'm telling you this because our callings aren't big and fancy. They're really simple. And you know the vision Jesus has placed in your life. You know the calling he's placed in your life. Maybe it's just for a season. Maybe it's for forever. But you are so concerned about how you view yourself and about how everybody else views you. And you're so wrapped up in your own failure and your own insecurity that you're not taking the step out of the boat and walking to Jesus. Do you understand that there are people watching you right now and they wanna know, is what we say about Jesus real? We're not gonna prove it by staying comfy in the boat. We prove it by getting out and taking a step. And some of you need to take a step. Would you guys close your eyes, bow your heads? Some of you have run so fast and far away from Jesus because it's kind of what we've just been talking about. The Jesus that you were taught is not the Jesus from the scriptures. And you've been afraid to enter into a relationship with him because you've been afraid that he's gonna require more of you than you can give and you've placed all these unnecessary expectations on yourself. And here's what I wanna tell you this morning. <laughs> Just let him love you. Stop fighting him. Let him love you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose again three days later, proving that he has the power to do just about anything in your life. And we have to surrender to him and say, believe that you've done that for me. I want you to be my savior. And we can experience his love. And maybe you've never done that. I wanna give you that opportunity this morning. And all you just say is, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again. I'm asking you to be my savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again, and I'm asking you to be my savior. And if you've 
never made that decision before and this is your first time, I want to look just to be able to pray over you. I'm not gonna call you out or make this a big deal, but would you just raise your hand so that I know that I can, so I can just pray over you this morning? Love it. <laughs> Others of you, you know what God has called you to do, but you've been too afraid. You've held yourself back. You're too worried about what everyone's gonna say. And you would say this morning, I'm gonna take that step out of the boat and I'm gonna do what I know I need to do. Maybe I need to quit something. Maybe I need to start something. Maybe I just need to realign my focus. But if you would say, Nicole, can you just pray over me this morning? Would you just raise your hand? Because I'd love to just pray over you this morning. In just a second, we're going to sing one of my favorite songs. It's called Who You Say I Am. And the whole song, you know, a lot of times in worship, we sing about Jesus, right? And we're praising Jesus for who he is. But every once in a while, we need to sing a song to remind ourselves of how God sees us. It's so important. It's so important that we understand how God sees us because when we start to understand that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus in his perfection, we start to silence the lies of the enemy that we're not enough, that we're not okay, that we're not good enough because it's like, no, 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 I'm not, but Jesus is. And so this song talks about how Jesus views us, how Jesus sees us. And some of you, you may just need to sit in your chair and, and just keep talking to Jesus. Some of you may just need to sit there and just let the words wash over you. Some of you, this is old fashioned, but you may just need to come to the front. Some of you may need to kneel. I don't know what you, you do whatever you need to do, but I want this song to wash over you because this is how Jesus sees you and let that truth be the fuel for you as you start to go after the mission and the vision for your life. Jesus, thank you so much for those of you, for those who have gone from death to life. God, in both services, we've had about seven people accept you as their personal savior this morning. God, thank you for the dozens and dozens, both services that have raised their hands and said, I want to go after the mission and the vision Jesus has for my life. I'm committing to drowning out the noise of how I feel about myself, trying to prove myself to others, of my failures, of my distractions, and I wanna go after who you've called me to be. And I know, God, that if you've called us to step out of the boat, you won't let us sink. But we have to keep our eyes on you. And when you've called us to do something, you give us the strength and you give us the grace to do it. But we have to lean into you. We cannot lean into ourselves. And so God, give us the strength to do what you've asked us to do. We love you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, 
Would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.